we should not think that women or children are too weak to overcome their circumstances. That's what we say when we say that people should get aborted if they're going to be raised in a difficult or challenging circumstance. We should instead be encouraging women and children that life is about overcoming obstacles. And in doing so, you can be proud of yourself knowing uh, what you've been able to accomplish through adversity. and welcome back to Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, a segment of the Pro-Life Guys podcast where we seek to highlight some of the unsung heroes of the pro-life movement, some of the people who are on the streets, some of the people who have stories of minds changed, of lives saved, and people who have been doing what they can to defend and protect pre-born children. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't checked out the Pro-Life Guys podcast yet, go check us out. You can find us on YouTube, by searching the Pro-Life Guys podcast, which you can find our video uh, podcast there, or you can find the audio podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, be that Apple Podcasts, Google Spot Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite content. Well, today I have a, a special guest on with me. He's a good friend of mine. He's a former colleague, and his name is Samuel Say. Sam, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. We did an, an episode late last year, I can't remember what the title is, but the focus was on abortion in black communities. So this is your second time on the program. You should be absolutely delighted <laughs> for this <laughs> for the second invite. Um, I'm surprised but, you want to have me back. <laughs> oh, man, we, we've been trying to get you back. You're a hard guy to reach. And, and we've been really trying to <laughs> trying to get you back on for the second time. But to kick things off, Sam, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who is Samuel Say? I mean, what are your interests? What do you do? And uh, just share a little bit about who you are. Yeah. Um, so I'm Samuel Say. <laughs> I, uh, I was born in Ghana. I was in West Africa. I moved to Canada when I was 10 years old, originally in Montreal. Uh, I don't know when this will be shared, but that's why I'm a Habs fan. That's why I'm very happy that the Habs defeated the Leafs. Um, so <laughs> but um yeah, I'm also a, a blogger. A blogger. Um, that's my my main uh, job right now. Um, I blog about um, I, I blog about abortion, but also especially racial issues, political issues, cultural issues. Um, the blog is called SlowToWrite.com, uh, and I was yeah your your colleague for a little while um, at CCBR, which I really enjoyed. Um, and um, yeah, that's I'm I'm pretty boring outside of all that, so I'm not sure what else to say about myself. No, that's great. Thank you. I'm going to dive into some of those things. But you you joined the pro-life movement. We were colleagues at the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey into the pro-life movement? What was it that convicted you uh, perhaps to be pro-life, but also to get involved and do this sort of thing full time? Yeah, um, in many ways, it started um, uh, when I was around 18. Um, there was a, a friend of mine. She was uh, also 18. And um, 
she called me one time. Her and I were very close. Um, so we would just call each other and just ask some random questions. Um, and um, she asked me, Sam, what would I say to a girl considering an abortion? And I thought it was just one of those random hypothetical questions. So I said what I knew then, which was, I don't know. That's all I knew about abortion at the time. Um, well, I found out later that she was asking that because she was being pressured by her boyfriend to, to get an abortion. She was considering an abortion herself. Um, and that a few days after she had asked me that question, uh, she went and um, they killed her baby. You know, so that devastated me because um, a year after that, I'd become a Christian. Before that, I wasn't a Christian. And now I was thinking more deeply about these issues. So I felt guilty, but I didn't really know what to do about it. And that stayed doormat for several years until uh, twenty early 2018. I was doing construction at the time. And um, I was just about to, uh, I was finishing a project with, with the construction organization that I was working with and a friend of mine who had just um, been introduced, sorry, been introduced to CCBR through the Florida project. Um, he's like, Hey Sam, you know, since you're going to be free this summer, here's this opportunity that I think you'd really enjoy. Cause I was writing about racial issues and writing against black lives matter as a, a very pro life organization, sorry, very pro abortion organization. Um, and I knew that that was the biggest issue facing Black Americans and Black Canadians. Um, it's not racism, it's abortion. So he's like, hey, he thinks this would be a really good opportunity for me to learn more about the pro-life movement and to be involved. And um, I signed up for CCBR's internship, um, particularly because I was still remembering what had happened all those years ago with my friend. And I wanted to do something to kind of make up for that. Um, and uh, I wrote, I wrote in the um, at the beginning of the internship. They asked us what are, what are what were our goals, and my goal was I wanted to convince thirty people to become who are thirty pro abortion people into becoming pro life. By the end of the internship, by the grace of God, it was I think seventy five people who had become pro life. So um, that's how I, I was introduced to the pro life movement. That's great. That's that's great to hear, and, and I. It's just wonderful that your goal of, of 30 changed minds uh, was more than doubled throughout the internship. One of the things we hear all the time um, from people is they just express their doubt in the fact that people who support abortion will actually change their mind on that issue. And here you are saying 75 people through your internship. We have a lot of interns. They go out on the streets. We have interns right now going out on the streets and uh, and change is happening. Conversations are happening and people are changing their minds. Now, one of the things, Sam, that we hear on the streets a lot is that pro-lifers, there are these privileged white people who um, are supported with great financial dollars from some sort of conservative or Republican party, uh, or perhaps a church somewhere, um, but they don't really know what life is like in the real world, what struggles are like in the real world, that when they bring up these difficult circumstances on the street that they use to justify abortion, there's this sort of expectation that pro-lifers in their naivety uh, and in their limited life experience don't really understand what um, someone who's facing those situations might be going through. But I know a little bit about your story. I know a little bit about your journey. You mentioned earlier on that you came from Ghana. Uh, and you moved to Montreal, where you very erroneously became a Montreal Canadiens fan, which uh, is one of those things that I hold against you. But could you share with us a little bit about your upbringing, 
um, you know, the, the difficulty that you had uh, with your, your mother and I believe your brother as well. Um, and share a little bit about how your story debunks the narrative that when you're in a difficult circumstance, abortion is the only option. It's the only feasible option. It's the only way to go. There are no other uh, options and paths that we can go through that will benefit the mother, benefit the child, because abortion is the only one. So could you share with us a little bit about your journey and why it's still important to be pro-life within those extremely difficult situations? Absolutely. And, and I'll do that in a second. Um, but, you know, what, what you mentioned about the idea that the pro-life movement is um, supported by, you know, privileged white men, Republicans or whatever, you know, it's interesting because if you actually people were to look at the the numbers or just into the details that we have of people who support Planned Parenthood and all that stuff, it's actually really privileged white people. It's celebrities, it's politicians who are extremely privileged, but they don't care about that because they support that. They simply use that, as you know, they simply use that as a tactic to try to, um, you know, to um, keep um, defenseless babies from being uh, killed. Um, but about my story, um, so as I said before, I was born in Ghana, West Africa, and this was uh, in the late 80s, 87. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty old. Um, and um, um, well, for the pro-life movement, particularly, because we're pretty young. But uh, so I was born in Ghana at a time when we were in Ghana suffering through a really, really bad economic uh, environment. Um, you know, we had a dictator who was implementing uh, socialism and communism, and that just made things worse. I mentioned all that as a background to my my father was a businessman, and he had my he and my mom, um, his wife had, and uh, my older brother who was eight years old, and we were already very poor. Uh, we were dirt poor already. Uh, he was failing in his business, so in this bad environment, my mom then becomes pregnant with me, and he says he's already struggling enough to take care of. The, you know, the three of them, he cannot take in a fourth person. He did not want, um, you know, he did not want me to be born. Um, and uh, my mom kept me. So he um, he fled to Nigeria. And since then, we've never met him. Um, I couldn't tell you what my, what my, what my dad looks like. Uh, so I mentioned that because my mom um, now being a single mother anywhere is difficult. But being a single mother in Ghana, um, in one of the worst uh, economic environments of our in, in the nation's history at that time is extremely difficult. But my mom persevered knowing that um, she could not fault me uh, for my father's sins against her. Uh, just because my father abandoned her doesn't give her the, the right to abandon me. Um, so she kept me in, again, difficult circumstances. By the grace of God, she perseveres, and then we move eventually to Montreal, as I said earlier, where she then married, remarries, and she has, um, you know, she has then a new baby, my my brother, uh, my my half brother, but my stepfather was also an abusive man and a horrible man, and he f attempted to force her into getting an abortion as well. He even um, knew a colleague who was an abortionist and tried to get my mom to, my mom was new to the country, um, didn't understand the language, especially the French language. And he tried many ways to get her to get an abortion with my younger brother, but my mom refused. Um, and then, um, so, so that's, that's the story there that, you know, it's, there's abs of course, it's never, ever an excuse. Uh, now we know that many women have a 
incredibly difficult circumstances, right? And what they need is help. Um, they don't need, they need help to thrive. They don't need help to kill their baby. Um, so I'll give, so whenever I think about my story now, as it deals with the abortion issue, I always think about a woman, uh, her name is Arwen that I spoke to um, in Hamilton um, during the internship uh, three years ago now. And she initially, as I was, as we were talking, we had her signs, we were doing a pro-life work. She got very upset and she walked up to me saying, how could you be here? How could you be doing this? How could you be doing this horrible thing, which is, you know, doing pro-life work. And I calmed her down a little bit. Just you know, want to know that I love her. That's why I'm here. I love everybody here. That's why I'm here. I shared my story and that she seemed to be listening to that. And then I asked her just to tell me her story. And she told me that she actually is very pro-abortion because she grew up in the foster system and she hated um, having to be um, raised in that environment that she would have been okay if her mom had given, had aborted her because of how hard her life was. And as she's listening to her, I just reassured her uh, how much I, I cared for her and how much I loved her. And then at the end, I, I asked her, now Arwen, You've overcome, I asked her, she was going to work that day. I asked her, what is she doing for work? And she has this good job and she's doing really well for herself. And I said, Arwen, aren't you, do you, aren't you grateful that you were able to overcome the massive obstacles in front of you? And she said, yeah, I am. And then I said, wouldn't you want other people raised in difficult circumstances or who are, who are, um, you know, pre-born babies who are going to be born in difficult circumstances, wouldn't you want them to have the chance to overcome their challenges too so they could be as proud about themselves as you are for yourself? She smiled and she's like, you got me. You're right. You're right. So, you know, we we should not think that women or children are too weak to overcome their circumstances. That's what we say when we say that people should get aborted if they're going to be raised in a difficult or challenging circumstance. We should instead be encouraging women and children that life is about overcoming obstacles. And in doing so, you can be proud of yourself knowing uh, what you've been able to accomplish through adversity. Yeah, I think of some of the heroes that we have personally, perhaps, and, and that we look to uh, here at CCBR. And a lot of them were similar, right? They had these, these massive obstacles that they faced um, and they were able to navigate their way through them in with integrity, um, but also with conviction. So that, that's really great. Thank you so much, Sam, for sharing that. I just wonder, um, you know, I was thinking about, um, you know, you just told that story um, of the conversation that you had on the streets, but then, you know, there's a, a sort of contrast with the story of your friend coming to you and saying, what would you say of someone thinking about getting an abortion? And you not really understanding that that was a very personal question for her um, and just thought it was an intellectual one. Could you speak briefly to the importance of knowing how to have effective and winsome conversations about abortion, even if you're not doing what you and I do, um, which is work for a pro-life organization? Most pro-lifers are never going to work for a pro-life organization. So why is it still important for them to be prepared and equipped to have effective and winsome conversations about abortion? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, one in four women in Canada and America will have an abortion in their lifetime. Um, so you need to be prepared knowing that um, many women you meet um, are considering um, abortion or will have an abortion. So being prepared is essential. 
um, you know, if we are to be light of the world on this issue, we need to be absolutely prepared. And one of the things the CCBR has taught me, so look, the reason why I was able to, uh, by the grace of God, um, change 75 people's minds in abortion isn't because I'm some brilliant guy. Um, it's just because of we CCBR taught me the truth about the, about abortion. If you have the truth, you already have the upper hand. Um, yes, we need to learn all the strategies. All the strategies. Uh, we need to learn all the the uh, the scientific facts. We need to learn all this, all all the things that we possibly can. But just by knowing that abortion is wrong, abortion kills babies. Right then and there, you already have the upper hand. So we don't need to be afraid. We simply need to tell them the truth. You know, um, now the truth will set people free. And that's true theologically. And that's true practically in that if you have the truth, you will free babies from abortion. So you need to be prepared to share that truth with people, knowing that you will be able to protect them um, from harming their own babies and from really harming themselves, knowing that many, many women have regrets of their, of their abortion. Yeah, that, that's important. And you never know when the opportunity is going to arise, uh, when you can have an, a conversation with someone who's thinking about abortion. Um, you know, those op opportunities are all around us. As you said, many women in our nation are going to be getting an abortion at some point. So, but one, one other question I have for you, sir, is, you know, you and I both work for the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform. You did, rather. Um, you were a colleague of mine here. But standing on street corners, having conversations and going door to door and showing people abortion victim images is difficult. It's challenging. Um, it's, it's not really something that anyone wakes up in the, in the morning and says, you know, this is what I want to do today. It's something we do out of conviction and yeah. necessity. But you've done it. You've written about it. And I wonder what sort of encouragement you would provide for people who are thinking, I know I should get involved in some way. Here's a few opportunities that I can do that. But I'm just unsure of whether I'm the right person for this sort of job or whether I can even do it. What sort of encouragement would you have for those thinking about doing pro-life outreach? If you are alive, you are the best person for the job. Um, you know, pre-born babies would gladly be out there speaking for themselves, but they can't. They can't. Therefore, the only the people who can speak for them are the people who are alive. You know, um, Doing, I can tell you, uh, doing you know pro-life work is very uncomfortable. It's very difficult. Um, there are times when I'll be going out there and I'm nervous. Like man, like it's like what am I doing? If if it's not for love for God, love for these preborn babies, why would I be out here? It's not a a glamorous thing, but it is it is better to be holding these signs than to be the sign, right? Um, you know, it's, I, I, many times where, uh, you know, we're, when we're out there, we're getting, uh, we're getting attacked and uh, verbally, sometimes physically, and it can be discouraging at times if you're not uh, focused on the big picture. And the big picture literally is seeing preborn babies being ripped apart and the whole world living as if that's not happening. Um, and if we don't go out there and, and speak for them, who will? Because, again, they can't speak for themselves. Um, and we know that that um, that AVP, 
abortion victim photography is effective. It's we we know that we will change people's minds and we know we will save babies. How many how many um I can only tell you I've never been able to save a life until I did pro-life work. All right. And most of us will never be able to save a life. All right, you know, and unless we do pro-life work. Um so you know I'm encouraged just knowing that I can do for preborn babies what they can do for themselves and that I can go out there and yes, it's going to be uncomfortable and difficult, but it's a lot more uncomfortable and difficult to be aborted than to be speaking for them. Yeah, that's a great way to wrap this up, sir. You mentioned that you t you write about abortion, but you also write about other cultural issues, racial issues, uh, and so on. Can you remind us one more time where we could find your writings? Um, people can find me at slowtowrite.com or they can find me on social media also at slowtowrite. All right, slowtowrite.com. Sam, thanks so much for taking the time and joining me today. Thank you. Yeah, that is Samuel Say, blogger of slow to, at slowtowrite.com. You can find him there. I'll put the link in the show notes as well, or you can search for Samuel Say or Slow to Write on Facebook to follow him on Facebook or Instagram. Perhaps he's on, on uh, any Twitter. I know he's on Twitter. Um, and you can just search other social media platforms if you want to find him there. Thank you so much for tuning in to this next session of Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, a segment of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. If you haven't yet hit that subscribe button, please do so. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or another app that allows you to give five-star ratings, we would be honored if you would do that. So thank you so much. We talked a little bit about the importance of knowing pro-life apologetics, of being prepared to have good conversations about abortion. I just want to highlight a, a book, which is a great resource from my colleague, Justina Van Manen. It's, it's called Stuck, A Complete Guide to Answering Tough Questions About Abortion. In her book, she highlights some of the abortion justifications that she hears. She highlights what we are hearing on the streets, and then she shares with you time-tested and street-tested apologetics that you can use to answer any justification that you hear. That is Stuck, a complete guide to answering tough questions about abortion. You can find that at the link I'm going to share in our show notes. So just go down by the book Stuck. Uh, I will share the link there. Uh, one more thing as well. Every month we come out with a, an episode. It's about 30 to 40 minutes where we highlight important and interesting abortion related news from the around the world. And we just discuss it a little bit, provide some commentary from a pro-life perspective. On the podcast, we, we've talked about this before, the importance of hearing our abortion-related news, not from pro-abortion sources like the mainstream media uh, or anywhere else, perhaps a, a government official, whoever it might be, but hearing your pro-life news from pro-life sources, and that's what we want to do. So you can find that episode. The series is called The Pulse. You can find it on your favorite podcast catcher by, by searching the Pro-Life Guys podcast or by searching the Pro-Life Guys podcast on YouTube. Thank you so much for tuning in. As I said, we hope you tune in again next time. And to each and every one, God bless you all.